0: take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 13. That's page 819 in your pew Bibles. Let me call your attention again to the announcements. Uh, As Austin came and gave his ministry report, he did mention his email address that's on the back of your bulletin. He also, if you go to ruf.org, there's an Austin P page uh, that has a little bit about the ministry, and that's where you can go to donate money, uh, if that's uh, what you would like to do. Please be praying for them. Uh, it'd be great to get them off on a good start, and we're so excited uh, about that ministry. I got to talk with them a little bit in between services, and they are clearly very excited about this opportunity, uh, and so we're uh, we're so grateful uh, for that and excited for, for them. Our passage is uh, Matthew 13, as I said, verses 31 through 35 uh, is what I'm going to read. 31 through 33 is really where we'll focus our time. Uh, If you've been here the last few weeks, we're in the middle of a series on the kingdom of God. Uh, The first week, a couple of weeks ago, we just defined what we were talking about. It's something Jesus says, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, a lot, and particularly in the gospel of Matthew, well, what's he talking about? Uh, It's even something that we say very much. We want to see the kingdom of God expand. That sounds great, but what are we saying when we say that? Well, we want to see God's reign and rule expanded in this world. We want to see the people that profess his name, that, uh, that live according to his will. We want to see that grow because that's what the kingdom is. is where he, he is being followed and obeyed. And we talked about what it means to enter the kingdom of God. You do that by repentance, to live within the kingdom of God. It means to follow Christ. And then last week we looked at seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. While you're living in the kingdom, you seek his kingdom. You don't seek your own kingdom, even your own basic needs. God says he'll take care of those things for you. Seek his kingdom and everything else will be added to you. This morning, we're going to talk about the growth of the kingdom. How does it grow? What's the manner in which it grows? It grows globally, but it also grows within our own hearts and within our own communities and in our cities. Uh, And so that'll be the focus of our time, I hope, uh, uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for our time this morning. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Would you give us understanding of this passage? Would you give us a passion to see the kingdom of God grow here in Macon and around the world? And Lord, that you would do all of that for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There was once a young man who sat down with an essay in his hand. It was just a normal day. He sat down and began to read an essay written by Thomas Clarkson. And as he began to read this, this young man began to read this essay, he was horrified as he read of the horrors of the British slave trade how every year between 35 and 50,000 Africans were taken away from their homeland and sold into slavery into Great Britain. And this is how he responded upon reading that essay. So enormous, so dreadful, so irremediable did the slave trade's wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. Let the consequences be what they would. I from this time determined that I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. Initially, this young man was very optimistic. I, th- I think we can do this. I think that, that the British slave trade can be abolished very quickly. But then that, his optimism qu- quickly faded. Twelve resolutions before British Parliament were turned down. He offered bills in front of uh, British Parliament in 1791, in 1792, in 1793, in 1797, in 1798, and 99, in 1804, and 1805. All of them were turned down. All along the way, drawing the ire of pro-slavery groups in Great Britain. Even some of his friends remarked that they just imagined that one day he would turn up dead. But finally, in 1807, British Parliament abolished the slave trade in the British Empire, and many thanks to the unrelenting work of one man, that young man, William Wilberforce. He would continue to work on this to ensure that all these, now that it had passed, that these laws would actually be enforced. And he worked to that end. In fact, three days before his death, in July the 29th of 1833, the final bill was passed in committee to ensure the abolition of the slave trade in Great Britain. Obviously, I just took a huge story and condensed it down to something very small. But what began one day is him sitting down to read. It grew and it grew and it grew, and finally it blossomed to the abolition of slavery in a whole nation. What started so small and insignificant on one day came to be great blessing to a whole nation. The growth of the kingdom of God is the same way. It starts very unimpressively. A little mustard seed, something that doesn't look like much, something that's that's pretty inconspicuous, and by our definitions and standards, it doesn't look like much. But as God, as Jesus is saying in this parable, he's being quite prophetic. He's saying it will steadily, relentlessly grow and grow and grow and grow and grow until it blossoms and it blesses everything that it touches. This is how the kingdom of God is to grow for us. And these two parables, commentators call these two twin parables. They're fraternal twins, if you will. They're not identical, but they're they're giving the same message. The inconspicuous beginnings of the kingdom of God, but it's unstoppable. It grows and it grows and it grows until it's this beautiful mustard plant or shrub. (coughs) The growth of the kingdom of God is indeed unstoppable, as Jesus is saying. And this ought to give us great hope. Remove our despair about our own salvation, about the growth of the kingdom of God in this church and even in this nation. It should give us great hope because it's something that's going to happen, not just might happen. I want to look at this passage in three ways. The first, the kingdom of God begins unimpressively. Every single commentary that I read on this passage, that's the word that it used. That the kingdom of God in its, in its inception or in its beginning is very unimpressive. It doesn't look like much. Um, I told the first service this. this. This first point is very informational. Okay, I'm just trying to unpack and lay out these two parables. Maybe it'll be a little boring too, but all the application and the illustration will come in the second and third point. This point, informational, just trying to help us understand what this passage is saying. As you can imagine... Jesus is standing or sitting perhaps on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. The sea is behind him, and he's preaching and teaching out to this great multitude. And and these are the parables that he begins to tell. He uses seven kingdom parables. We kind of talked about two of them last week. I just mentioned them in passing. They weren't the focus of the sermon. We're talking about two this morning. And the final three kingdom parables we'll talk about next week. (coughs) And these parables likely you've heard a parable described it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, it's not an allegory. It's not a made-up thing. If these are actual events in the life of people that they would have totally understood. Okay? Oh, yeah, uh, planting, uh, planting a garden. I'm, they would have seen that thing perhaps on a daily basis. One of the parables would have resonated more with the men, the planting of the seeds in a garden, and one, generally speaking, would have resonated more with the women, the, the leaven and the lump of dough. First, the parable of the mustard seed. (coughs) This small and unimpressive seed, okay, but it grows. First of all, a word about the size of the mustard seed. Among the seeds that a gardener plants, the mustard seed was generally the smallest. It was not, in fact, the smallest of the mustard seeds, as Jesus says that it is. I I learned this. Of course, I didn't know this, but uh, I learned as I was studying in Palestine, the smallest seed was not a mustard seed. It was the seed of a cypress tree. How about that? So theologian and theologians and historians believe that Jesus is not trying to give us a factual scientific statement here. He's saying something that's proverbially true. It's not factually true, but proverbially true. Okay? It was a saying that they had in that culture. Now, they're not just coming up with this to make Jesus sound better. They're, there's actually evidence to support this. When Jewish, uh, Jewish people, when somebody violated a ceremonial law, or they even saw this in case law, if it's a really small breach of a ceremonial law, they would call it a breach as small as a mustard seed. Okay? It was a proverbial statement that they used. Jesus will say this again in Matthew 17 when he says that we need to have faith as small as a grain of a mustard seed. It was something, again, not a factual statement, but something that was just kind of accepted as proverbially true in the culture. In Jesus' time, if you wanted to talk about something that was very small and unimpressive, you compared it to a mustard seed. That's just what you did. We have all sorts of proverbial statements in our our culture today, too, don't we? Just to try to make sense of this. There's millions of them, perhaps. Here's a few. All good things come to those who wait. Is Is that really true? I've had some bad things come to me when I've been waiting before. Or the one that that my mom used to say to me all the time because I'm really messy. She would say, Andy, cleanliness is next to godliness. Like, you can't prove that, Mom. That's not a factual statement. It's just a proverbial statement that we've all kind of just accepted, right? Misery loves company. Does misery really love company? I don't know, but we use it so often. It's a proverb now in our culture. I think you see the point. Despite the small size of the mustard seed, It grows into something that's very impressive. This teeny tiny little seed can grow into this kind of a tree slash shrub that's about 12 or 15 feet tall. One of the largest garden plants. And it's a very common sight today, I learned in Palestine, to see a mustard tree surrounded by birds, as Jesus says. They come and they nest there, they find refreshment there, and they eat the little teeny tiny black mustard seeds. They find them to be delicious. (coughs) Secondly, the parable of the leaven. Jesus says three measures of flour, okay? This is what this woman was using. It would have been the average amount for a fairly large Jewish family and would have given them enough bread to feed them for a week. Now, this is probably, since Jesus was from a fairly large Jewish family, this is probably a scenario that he had seen played out many, many times before, his mother making enough bread for his family. So he was probably speaking from experience. So the, the leaven which had been left over from a previous baking had fermented and then it was put into this lump of dough. It rises and voila, you have some delicious bread. Now the second parable can be just a little bit confusing because typically when Jesus talks about leaven, he's talking about something negative. He, he will say in chapter 16, he's talking about the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, he says to the disciples. Okay, Beware of their sinful influence upon you. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 5, leaven is talked about negatively. Even with Passover, once it was over, you, you gathered up all the leaven, you removed it from the house, and you burned it. Okay, so maybe Jesus is mixing his metaphors here, but probably likely he's using something that really piqued their interest. Wait, he normally talks about leaven negatively. Now it's positively that kind of aroused their interest. The kingdom of God has come now. And with the kingdom coming... Of course, Christ has come. That's what we talked about in the very first week. But as the kingdom has come, it doesn't look like much right now. From our perspective, or from the world's perspective at that time, it's just a Jewish prophet with some disciples. That's about it. Yes, he's gaining a following. More and more crowds are coming to hear him. He's healing people, but the people that have any power in Jerusalem hate him and want to kill him. There's, There's not much to this kingdom of God right now. And Jesus is saying don't let this apparent insignificance deceive you and discourage you because it's going to grow there's going to come a time when it's going to be a full-blown mustard plant and it's going to be an imposing figure in the whole garden it's coming jesus is being prophetic he's not saying we hope this is going to happen this is going to happen it's one day it's going to be a shrub and not only is it going to be an imposing figure in the garden it's going to bless the garden with its presence You know, patience is not one of our strong suits at all as as people. I know it's not one of mine. It's not that we don't know that we need patience. We know that. It's that we don't want to have patience. We want to see results now. We want everything to happen now, 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 now. We want it in our own hearts. If We see the kingdom of God growing within us. Well, I ought to be progressing faster and faster and faster. Be encouraged where you see the kingdom of God. Parents, be encouraged if you see even a little glimmer of faith in the heart of your child the beginnings of the kingdom of God. Maybe it is right now just a mustard seed, but the Lord says it will grow and progress. If you see that first glimmer of the kingdom of God, have great hope and confidence and pray that it would grow. Number two, the kingdom of God grows steadily. It begins unimpressively, but it grows steadily. Yes, the mustard seed and the leaven are pretty insignificant in comparison to everything else around it, but it's growing. Why does it grow? Well, generally speaking, of course, it grows because it's the will of God and we can't thwart his plan, yes. But he also demands work and effort from us in the kingdom of God. And these parables were meant to encourage the disciples. Excuse me. The disciples in the early church were going to receive a very mixed response as they began preaching the gospel. Many of them are going to be martyred or their loved ones are going to be martyred. They needed to be encouraged. It's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be this way. William Hendrickson, in his commentary on this passage, says this To those who first heard it, this parable was saying to them, Have patience, exercise faith, and keep on praying. Keep on working. God's program cannot fail. It's saying the same things to those who have come afterward, only it's saying it today with an even greater force. Because the story illustration is really a prophecy, and this prophecy has already been partly fulfilled. For us, we can look back and see that. Yes, it was a mustard seed, but look at how the kingdom has grown and continues to grow all around the world. And we should take great confidence and hope in that and joy. We should also note that the mustard plant is just one of the many plants or trees in the garden. There are other kingdoms that are growing, but the mustard plant is one of those as well. Dr. Lloyd Kim is the uh, coordinator for MTW, the the missions agency arm of the PCA. And he posted a few statistics on social media this past week that I thought were really interesting. He said, over the past 100 years, Christians have grown, professing Christians, have grown from less than 10% of Africa's population to now just shy of 50% of Africa's population, which comes to approximately 500 million professing Christians in Africa alone. 25% of professing Christians in the world today now live in Africa, and Pew Research projects that that number to rise to 40% by the year 2030. That's amazing. Those are amazing statistics. Al Baker, who I know is a friend of this church, takes evangelistic trips to the nation of Uganda there once or twice a year just to do evangelism because there's a revival happening right now in Uganda. Many people coming to Christ, hundreds each day coming to Christ. He likes to take young pastors there just so they can be encouraged in their evangelistic efforts because they don't receive as much encouragement here. Go to a nation where it seems like everybody's coming to Christ in this particular nation. The Lord is doing a great work there. Something that began very small on a continent has exploded and continues to grow. We think of these things, we think of the growth of the gospel in Africa or China, and and it, it excites us. And then we think of the influence of the kingdom of God in our own nation, and it's often met just by a sigh. Boy, I wish that would happen here. We believe in the growth of the kingdom of God because we believe in this parable, but we wonder if that's something that could really happen here. Because the mustard plant, yes, it's growing, but there are other very imposing plants and trees in the garden as we see it. The other kingdoms, they seem stronger and they seem more viable. They seem to have more resources. They seem very unstoppable in their own right. There's a secular kingdom that is growing in our country, and it seems like a juggernaut. It seems like its advancement could never be stopped, almost as if it's a lost cause for us to try. So what do we do? We come back to this parable is what we do. We can't forget that the kingdom of God is growing as some commentator says, not just that it's growing steadily, it's growing relentlessly. And we should look around the world and be very encouraged where we do see the gospel exploding. But at the same time, we should never lose hope about our own nation and our, even our own town. It seems like the kingdoms of the world are stronger, more powerful. Well, what are we going to do about that? Well, we have a few options. Think of our secular culture for a minute that promotes and exalts death that denies God, that, fin- that tells us to find our identity and our sexuality, and that has deified the self. Think of that culture as a rushing river. It's rushing. It's violently rushing downhill. Some of us want to stand on the banks of that river with our arms crossed and say, well, there's just nothing we can do. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's getting what it deserves. What are we going to do now? Others of us want to jump in the river and we're happy to be swept away as fast as it can, capitulating to the world's demands and we're cloaked in language of acceptance and love. And then others of us want to jump in the river and we want to stand there. We want to love the culture, we want to be clear about what we believe and what scripture tells us to believe, but we stand. We stand against it, standing against what appears to be all odds proclaiming the gospel to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins to those who don't have ears to hear to those who need a new heart to those who need the love of Christ there are many in our midst right now who are eager to go out the doors of this sanctuary and tell the city of Macon about these things to pray for opportunities to do this so that the kingdom of God in our town would grow and expand and that they would feel blessed by us as a church Not just that they would know that we exist, but they would really know us and love us and feel glad that we're here. Do you want more people to come to Christ in this town? What do you think our town thinks about us? What do they think about our influence here? Do you want to see more people come to Christ in this city? Do you want to see more people come to this church who may not have traditionally felt welcome here? I want to see it too. So what do we do about that? Because just think a minute about the history of our church. I hope I'm getting these facts right. I know someone will correct me if I'm not. 1825, Hopewell Presbytery commissions Joseph Stiles to come to this city as an evangelist. And he holds evangelistic meetings here and in Milledgeville, which I believe was the capital of Georgia at that time. He loves the people here. For 10 months he does this. And at the end of 10 months he gathers a group of 25 people who say, we want to see a new church started here. Now, Stiles was not ordained at the time, so they have to bring down a man named Benjamin Gildersleeve, who's an ordained minister. And on June the 18th of 1826, this church, what is now First Presbyterian Macon, was was founded and formed and began worshiping. Some 32, 33 years later, on September of 1858, this sanctuary was committed, where, where we now worship. 190 years from that 1826, now here we are. We're worshiping in this great place. Do you think that group of 25 people could have ever imagined even what might happen 30 years later with the building of this sanctuary? And surely they couldn't have imagined what might happen 190 years later with us sitting here worshiping Christ. Maybe in their wildest dreams they imagined that, but... What a wonderful testimony. And over that time, yes, we have, I pray that we have been a blessing to Macon, but what more can we do to let them know we are here and we love them and we want to serve them? Could Joseph Stiles have, had imagined that, that 190 years later there would be a long list of faithful men who have stood in this pulpit and preached the wonderful news of Christ all the way up to Chip Miller? Could, could they have imagined that? What started is so small and insignificant. A group of 25 people, what are they going to do? It grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it blossomed. Are we being the blessing that this mustard tree is in this garden? Are we a blessing? And do, and do the people of this town feel it? Lastly, the kingdom of God blesses completely. It begins unimpressively, it grows steadily, and then it blesses completely. The kingdom of God may, may not have begun in the way the disciples had expected it to. They, cert- they certainly didn't imagine as Jesus rode into uh, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem that they thought well great, uh, finally liberation has come in this physical kingdom well that's not why Jesus had come because it's a spiritual kingdom maybe it had not grown like they had anticipated but it was growing and just Jesus mentioned, likely he had in mind Ezekiel chapter 17 when he mentions the birds coming and nesting in the tree he's hearkening back to Ezekiel chapter 17 which talks about the same This kingdom of God is for Christians, and it is about sharing the gospel, but it is about blessing everywhere that it goes. The kingdom is meant to bless everybody, not just believers. It's to bless communities and cultures and wherever it is found. It's meant to be a powerful force for goodness and good in the life of a place, in the life of a heart. It is about people coming to Christ, but it's also about mercy ministries. It's about reconciliation. It's about reading, reading programs at Strong Tower. It's about a tutoring program at campus clubs. It's about a ministry that we support here at this church, Transworld Radio. It's a radio ministry that, that's out of Guam, and it just proclaims the gospel across the radio waves to millions of people. It's about Transworld Radio in third millennium partnering now translating all this uh, uh, biblical and reformed pastoral training into Mandarin Chinese that might reach as many as 743 million people. Well, maybe just 1% of those hear it. That's 7.5 million people being able to train for free to them, not free for the ministry. This is the kingdom of God blessing the nations. Going out, being a blessing. The nations are to be blessed by the kingdom of God. Uh, you probably remember the name Jim Cofield. He came and did a marriage conference here back in January of, of last year, 2015, uh, so about 18 months ago. I got the opportunity to hear him speak at a seminar at General Assembly back last month. And he told a story during that seminar. He, he is uh, a professor at RTS in Orlando, and you remember the, the nightclub shooting that killed 49 people. Uh, I guess it was last month. A friend of, it happened on a Saturday. A friend, of his called, a friend of his called him on Sunday morning and said, Jim, we've got to do something. What can we do to help people that are mourning and, and are hurting? Jim thought about it for a minute. He said, I, I guess we could go down to the LGBTQ Center here in Orlando and just try to help. And so that's what they did. Jim and his friend went down to the LGBTQ Center in Orlando, Florida, and for about two hours, they just passed out water. That was really all there was for them to do talked to people, passed out water, told them that they were so sorry, and talked. He said he struck up a conversation with one man. He handed him his card and told him that he was a counselor and he'd be happy to help. The man just kind of looked at his card and said, Pastor, what in the world are you doing here? The next Sunday, there was a couple sitting in front of Jim and his wife. It was a lesbian couple. They struck up a conversation with them after the service was over, and the two ladies said, All we know is... Everything we've been doing and what we've been hoping in, there isn't any hope. But our hearts told us for some reason that there might be hope here. And so that's why we came. This is blessing the communities and the places where we are. Did those two ladies come to Christ? I have no idea. But that's not the point. The point is the blessing, the point is what they felt. This church clearly was a place we can go there and we can be loved and maybe find some fellowship. Yes, they were hurting because of a traumatic experience, but this is the blessing that we are to be to the world and to the places that we are. Of course the goal of the Christian life is salvation and getting to heaven. Yes, but it's more than that. It does mean, of course, I'm not suggesting that we don't make a clear stance on things such as abortion or same-sex marriage or transgenderism. I'm not saying we shirk the responsibility of teaching clearly on those things but it does not mean that we communicate that opposing view or lifestyle to our own disqualifies you from coming here it doesn't disqualify anyone from coming and being a part of the body of christ are they going to have to repent of their sins absolutely because we did too whatever it is we didn't deserve his love and his grace and his mercy yet he chose to pour it out upon us we're no better than anyone else First Pres, do you think that downtown Macon, and Macon at large, is happy that we're here, and feels blessed by our presence? Because God's providentially placed us right here where we are, at the corner of First Street and Mulberry. How can we do a better job of reaching this city? I think, after all, we all do want that. Maybe it's gonna start just like it did for Joseph Stiles, a very small group of people, with an idea, and then it's gonna grow into a prayer meeting. And then it's going to grow into a Bible study. And then it's going to grow into a ministry. And then it's going to grow into an outreach. And to where the people of this town, they don't just know we exist. They actually know us. Because we go and meet them and talk to them. And we eat in their restaurants. And we, we say hello to them on the street. They truly know who we are and what we're about. And they're glad we're here. And they can say, well, I may not agree with everything that happens down at that church. But you know what? They really are for us and they love us. It may start as something very small, just like this church did, a very must, a mustard seed that has grown and blossomed into something that blesses. Because just think about Jesus himself. Talk about an unimpressive beginning. He was born in a manger in a little town in Bethlehem. He grew up in an insignificant town like Nazareth. But then things kind of started to take off, not really for the first 30 years. He was a carpenter and took care of his family. But then his ministry began. He began preaching, and people flocked to hear him and to be healed by him. And things really started to take off. But then he went to the cross. The most unimpressive, seemingly unimpressive thing he could have done. Is there any way that the, everybody had abandoned him at that point? Is there any way that the disciples could have said, This is it? This is what people for generations are going to look back and hope in. No, that, that could they have imagined this is atonement, this is redemption, this is forgiveness, this unimpressive cross. No, they couldn't have imagined that. But it's why we're here today. We have hope in that. We love Christ because of what he's done for us and that he's our God and our king. And we've got to go out these doors today and tell people about it and show them that we're here for you and we love you. And we want you to come and be a part of this because we think there's something very special here. Not just hope, but a God who loves us unconditionally. Don't lose heart. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is growing indeed. It cannot be stopped. Even Christ's ministry began unimpressively. But it grew and it grew and it grew. And it blossomed into something that blesses us and will continue to bless. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would convict us, Lord, when we just want to stay in our Christian groups and not reach out into this world and love them. Lord, that we would want to take the gospel to everybody that we know, but we'd also just want to, to love them and be their friends. That people of Macon would get to know us and they would feel blessed by our presence here. Lord, that we, ha- we would have great confidence not in ourselves, but in you. And Lord, that your gospel would go forth with much fruit. Lord, we pray for Austin and Anna Caroline. Thank you so much for them. Would you bless their ministry that is truly a mustard seed right now. But that it would grow and grow. And that the people of Clarksville will feel very loved. And that campus at Austin P would feel very loved by them. And we thank you so much for them as well.